Welcome to the Ancient World Podcast. So today we're going to continue with Canto 6. And this is um, another example of how Dante with his comedy is, is using the frame story. And then many of the cantos are filled with the major themes of the Paradiso. And some of the cantos are almost independent little stories with a separate style and separate, uh, kind of specific content. So... This whole canto is dedicated to the history of the Roman Empire and is all told through like this one one voice telling the whole story. And then at, at the end there's a little bit about the sphere, we're in the second sphere of uh, Mercury, and then about a person, a historical person that is very similar to Dante which is uh, where Dante is implying his own, <laughs> his own destiny and, and some of uh, his own thoughts about his, his uh, condition when he's writing the comedy, when he's thrown out of Florence and he's walking around in the north of Italy and being in exile. So if, um, if you remember from the last episode, so the Count of Five ends with this little... Uh, mystery of a, one of the souls is talking and, and Dante says even so in its own glowing jubilance that holy figure hid itself from me and so enraptured wrapped it answered me the way in which the follow canto chants and then the next canto starts canto six and it's um the style of it is very representative for the person who's talking which we'll see now and it starts once Constantine reversed the eagle's flight against the course of heaven which it pursued behind that warrior who wed Lavinia one hundred and one hundred years and more the bird of God remained on Europe's edge close to the mountains whence it first arose so this is straight into the history of the Roman Empire so Constantine is the one who moves the, the seat of the Roman Empire to Byzantium, and then he calls it then Constantinople. So this, this happens in the year 324. And he's pointing to the beginning of the story, the warrior who wed Lavinia. This is uh, Aeneas. So this is the mythological background for the whole of the Roman Empire. So we'll get back to this very soon, but He's, this voice is now drawing out the big picture from the earliest beginnings of the Roman Empire, but then Constantine is moving the seat to Byzantium, Constantinople. And then also saying that it, it goes, well, for 100 and 100 years more, and it's close to where Troy, the mythological Troy is. There, shadow by its sacred wings, it ruled over the world, passing from hand to hand and changing thus alighted on my own. And then it comes, Caesar I was, Justinian I remain. So the voice we're hearing is from Emperor Justinian. And he was, um, so he's the one who's moving the seat of the Roman Empire back from Constantinople and into Italy again. After about 200 years. And then he continues who by the will of the first love I feel purges all of the laws 
of excess and of shame. Before I had assumed this task, I thought that Christ had but one nature and no more, and I was satisfied with this belief. So Justinian was, this is something that was important in the medieval times more, but uh, he, his, uh, his view on, on Christianity was something called monophysite, meaning one, so physics means nature in, in Greek, so one nature, and they thought that the Christ figure was not both human and both fully human and fully divine. They thought that uh, the Christ figure was a combination, partly divine, partly human, which was considered heresy at the time. But blessed Agapetus, which is a pope at the time, who was the supreme shepherd of God, directed me with his enlightened words to the true faith. I trusted him, and what he knew by faith, I now see clear, as clear as you can see, all contradictions are both true and false. This is a, a reference to, to the logic of Aristotle about how contradictions, if you have two propositions about one idea, one would be, and they are then contradicting each other, one is true and one would be false. Well, if one is true, the other one is false. And once I was in step with Holy Church, God in His grace inspired me to assume that task to which I gave all of myself. And the task then to, to move the seat of the Roman Empire and the Imperial Eagle, which is the, the one of the main themes of the whole canto, to, to move that back into Italy where it belongs. To my Belisarius I gave my arms, for God's right hand so guided his, I knew it was a sign for me to rest from war. So Belisarius is, is the general of Justinian who is then conquering the north of Italy again. He he conquers the, the Goths who are, have occupied north of Italy, so he throws them out, and then Justinian can move the empire back into Ravenna, which is, we talked about this in another episode, Ravenna is a super beautiful little town, uh, a bit south of uh, Venice, and it's full of history, it has mosaics, and it's uh, it's not so touristic either, it's kind of a little bit off the, the normal tourist path, but it's a, it's, it's a really a nice place to go and visit. And the people are super nice, in part because there's so little few tourists there. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's full of beauty and history and architecture and, and it's a nice place to stay for a few days. Okay, and then Justinian continues, because now Justinian has introduced himself as the, the person a very important historical figure who is moving the empire back into Italy. With this, your first question is answered now. But I have answered it in such a way that I am forced to add on something more. To make it plain to you how little cause have those who move against the sacred standard, be it the ones who claim it or disdain it. So this is referencing to, um, to the current debate in those times which was between the Ghibellines and the Guelphs. So it was a big political uh, fight with those who supported the, the empire and those who supported the Pope. And this is also um, a, a political combat that Dante is involved in himself. Behold what courage consecrated it, the courage which began with that first hour when Pallas died to give it its first realm. 
So now the bigger canvas of the history starts. Um, just for the little overview. So it starts with a mythological past coming from, from Greece. And then you have the seven kingdoms in Rome. And then you have the Roman Republic for 500 years, very roughly. Then you have the Roman Empire for 500 years, also roughly. Then you have a few hundred years where it has moved to the East Roman Empire. And then you have the Holy Roman Empire, which is established in the year 800 by Charlemagne. And this is roughly France and Germany and north of Italy. And that's the empire in which Dante is living. So that's kind of the condition for, for Tuscany and Florence around 1300. But then we start with Pallas. So Pallas is the son of Evander, who is a Greek king. And he is the, the Greek king who then goes to Latium and establishes a kingdom in the place where Rome is today. And then he is, then, so Pallas is then fighting with Aeneas. So Aeneas is the, is, is the big literary figure and mythological figure who founds the Roman people. But then when they have a fight, where he's fighting with Aeneas, he dies. And then Aeneas gets the kingdom that belonged to, to the Greek king Evander. And then the imperial eagle has its first kingdom. You know that for 300 years and more, it stayed in Alba Longa till at last the three fought with the three to make it theirs. So it's like Dante is making huge steps here through the history. And so they move it, they move the kingdom to a place called Alba Longa, which is 20 kilometers south of Rome. And it stays there for about 300 years. Then it's destroyed and the people move back into where Rome is. And among the people is Rome, Romulus and Remus. And they are twins, and this is where the normal history of Rome starts. But they come in, back into Rome, and then Romulus establishes a kingdom, and he's the first king. There's also a very famous statue in Rome with the, 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 the she-wolf, and then the twins are under the, uh, the she-wolf. It's close to the Roman Forum. And you know what it did through seven kings, from Sabine rape up to Lucretia's woe, as it grew, conquering its neighbor's lands. So this is the seven kingdoms. You have seven kings, and then after that, the Roman people overthrows the kingdom, and then they establish the Republic, and this is in the year 500 BC. So now we're suddenly on, on fully historical grounds from the mythological background. And you... And you know what it did, borne by the illustrious Romans against Brennus, against King Pyrrhus, against many a prince and government. Torquatus then and Quintius, so named for his rough curls, the Deci and the Fabi, all won the glory I am glad to honor. I brought low all of that Carthaginian pride that followed Hannibal across the Alps from which you, River Po, make your descent. Under the eagle triumphed in their youth Scipio and Pompey and it showed this wrath against the hill beneath which you were born. So this, this is so dense with history. It's, it's, um, it's too elaborate to, to, to go through all of the references, but this is in the Roman Republic, and it's coming now up to the, when the point of Caesar um, is, and the change into the, into the empire. Uh, just one, the last one here was the hill beneath which, were you, which you were born. Is, so he's 
Justinian is now talking to Dante, and so Dante is born in Florence. Next to Florence, there's a hill, and on top of that is a little village called Fiesole. And it's a, that too is a super beautiful little village town with a, like a, a wonderful view of the whole valley and Florence and the river. And then you see the big Duomo in the middle of, of Florence. And um, it's a super place to... You can just take the bus up, it's like 30 minutes, and then you can sit there and you can have a, a glass of wine or a, a lunch, a nice lunch, and just have the view and know that this has been there for 2,000 years. And there's also, it's still, um, it's still a topic for people in Fiesole that they talk about Florence and kind of the rivalry with Florence. Then when the time came that all heaven willed to bring the world to its harmony, Caesar at Rome's behest laid hold of it. What it did then from war to Rhine, the Seine, Isere and Loire, beheld in every vale whose waters flow to fill the river Rhone. Then what it wrought, when from Ravenna's shore it soared to Rub the Rubicon, was such a flight no tongue can tell or pen can write about. This is one of the main points in Roman history. So it's when Caesar has a rivalry with Pompey and then he decides to go against Rome. So Rubicon is a river south of Ravenna and when he crosses the Rubicon he effectively starts a civil war which is then leading to Caesar taking full control and becoming the first emperor. He turned to lead his armies into Spain then toward Dyrrachium and struck Pharsalia so fiercely that the hot Nile felt the blow. Antandros and Simois, whence it first soared, it saw again and Hector's grave, and then again it sprang to flight, the worst before Ptolemy. When Juba next it struck like lightning, then again it turned round to attack your west in answer to the blast of Pompey's horn. And what it did with its succeeding chief, Brutus and Cassius wail about in, hail, in hell. It made Modena and Perugia grieve. So again, like you have huge steps here. But from Caesar takes control, and then the next, and Caesar is, is murdered by his son Brutus and Cassius. So they go to, they are placed in the inferno in the first book of Dante. So like <laughs> Lucifer is in the center of inferno and eating. He has three faces and is eating three people. Two of them are then Brutus and Cassius. But then when after Caesar you get his nephew, Augustus, so he becomes the, the next ruler and also called the first uh, well, the first Caesar. So but the second emperor. And then Augustus uh, then executes uh, Brutus and Cassius. For that still weeps the tragic Cleopatra, who fleeing from its conquest finally clasped the black and sudden viper to her breast. With him it reached the shore of the Red Sea, with him it ushered in a worldwide peace that kept the gates of Janus' temple locked. So this is one kind of, we've been through, there's so, so much detail here, but him here is uh, the Emperor Augustus, and with him, like he, he makes more conquests, and then you have worldwide peace. And the gates of Janus' temple 
so Janus is um, the, the god of beginnings and he's the guardian of doors. So Janus has two heads like, watching both ways and that's why he's put... So that's why we had January because this is the month that looks back into the year before and towards the coming year. So he's, he's, it was a popular god to have on to watch the gates. You can watch in the city and out of the city. And it's also the porter of heaven. So this just points to that at this point, the empire has grown and it's now peaceful and then the gates are locked instead of when it's wartime, it's constantly open. But what this banner, the cause of my words, has done before and what it would yet do throughout the realm it conquered, all of this appear as dim and paltry deeds. If we but see uh, with clear eyes and honest heart as it appears in the third Caesar's hand. This is Tiberius. And under Tiberius, the third emperor, uh, this is when Christ is uh, crucified in Israel. Because the living justice that inspires me granted it in the hand of whom I speak, the glory of the vengeance of his wrath. Now marvel at what I shall add to this. Later it sped with Titus to avenge the vengeance taken for the ancient sin. Titus is the one who, the emperor who destroys Jerusalem in the year 72. Lombard fangs bit into holy church, and under those same wings came marching forth victorious Charlemagne to rescue her. So this is a huge jump forward to the year 800, when Charlemagne is re-establishing the Roman Empire with the Holy Roman Empire in France, Germany, and the north of Italy. Now you can judge those men that I accused when speaking earlier and judge their crimes, which are the cause of all your present woes. Against the public standard one group sets, the yellow lilies, one claims it for its own party flag, and who knows which is worse. So this is back to the, the, the conflict between those who supported the, the Holy Roman Empire and those who supported the Vatican and the Pope. Let them, those ghibellines, let them connive under some other sign, for those who sever justice from it are not true followers. Let not the new Charles trust his guelphs to tear the banner down, but let him fear those claws that rip the hides of mightier lions than he. But Charles is the king of Naples, and he was the leader of the guelphs who wanted to, who was against the empire. Many a time a father's sinful deeds are wept for by his sons, that Charles not think his lilies can replace the bird of God. So in Dante is then supporting the empire when saying the imperial, the imperial eagle is the bird of God. And that's where the whole, this whole very dense overview of history stops through the voice of Justinian. And then briefly just to, to the parts to remember here is that Justinian again moves the empire from from uh, Constantinople back to Italy. And then you have the mythological past of Rome, you have the seven kings, you have the Republic and the empire. And then we move on to talking about the spheres. Now suddenly we're, we're back into the, the world of the, of the Paradiso and the, the nine spheres of, of heavens. This little star is made more beautiful by valiant souls whose zealous deeds on earth were prompted by desire for lasting fame. So now we are having an explanation like why the people and the souls in the second sphere, like why they are in the place they are and not further up. 
And this is because they were too concerned with the earthly fame and the earthly glory. And this is then also then told by Emperor Justinian. The more desire tending toward that goal, thus deviating from true love, the less intensely burned the rays that rise toward heaven. To see the perfect balance we have here between reward and merit gives us joy, for we see each commensurate with each. So this is again the, back to the topic that people have the amount of blessing according to according to their nature and according to their achievements or their merits from the earthly life, and they are then happy. It's also according to their capability of absorbing the, the divine light. So it's the repetition of what is the same thing they say in the first sphere, that they are happy where they are. And thus we feel the sweetness of true justice, so much alive in us, our will cannot be warped and made to turn to bitterness. Disparate voices blend into sweet tones, so in our heavenly life, the disparate ranks produce sweet harmony among these spheres. This will be a big, bigger and bigger topic, the, the harmony of music in the spheres. So this is the explanation of why Justinian is in the second sphere, and then also that they are happy. And then comes the last part of the canto, which is a very, very charming one, which is Dante is kind of telling his own story through another historical person. And he's then placing, indirectly is placing himself in the second sphere as one of those, the people who are too concerned about earthly fame and glory. Within this pearl, there also radiates the radiance of Romeo, who accomplished fair noble deeds that went unrecompensed. And Romeo was a, a wanderer and he was working for the la last count of Provence, Raymond Berenger IV. So he worked for, for the count and he did a, a very good job, but then he got some enemies and then they had a, they manufactured a thing against him and then when he was charged with this he just left and continued to be a wanderer so he says here those provincials who worked against him though will not laugh last he who resents the good done by other walks an evil road so here you start having a very strong kind of subtext about Dante talking about his own life and his own deeds and, and those who worked against him and made him be thrown out of Florence then implying that they, they are doing something evil and then that they will not laugh last the, the people in Provence who made Romeo that he had to leave because Romeo married he got all the four daughters of the count so he created like he arranged good marriages so they all the four daughters became queens and this eventually uh, lessened the power of of the count of uh, provence so and thus the the court that plotted against romeo four daughters had count raymond berenger each one of them a queen thanks to romeo this man of lowly birth this pilgrim soul this has got full <laughs> full connection to dante being a pilgrim in the story and also in a sense his personal life and and through his work 
But when those envious tongues convinced his lord that he should call this just man to account, this man who had rendered him twelve for ten, just make like he 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 gave much more to the count than what was expected, like he renders him twelve for just ten. Romeo, proudly old and poor, departed. And could the world know what was in his heart as he went begging door to door, his bread, though praised today? He would be praised still more. So here you really feel that <laughs> Dante is writing the story and he's thinking like if people knew what's, what I'm doing here and <laughs> my work, it will be more recognized today. But it will eventually be that. So he's, uh, it's, it's funny, this is a theme or a, a thing you can see through the whole work that sometimes Dante becomes a little bit personal <laughs> and, and he... He kind of puts his enemies into bad places in the inferno, and then he also uh, creates this wrapping things into stories where he can kind of get, <laughs> get back at his enemies and then put this into writing forever. And then 700 years later, we're still reading about this. So this is, <laughs> you, you can feel the intention from Dante a little bit here. Uh, but it's also very charming since he puts himself into the second sphere, like it's self-deprecating that he's he's too concerned about his fame and he knows it. So uh, and it's also historically interesting that he he did have a hard life after he was thrown out of Florence. He's writing the comedy, but he's he's poor and he's traveling from city to city, and he's he needs the. Kind of, <laughs> he, he finds different uh, patrons also that he that can help him to do the work, and then uh, especially one in uh, Verona. But it's just a little. He's alluding to his own own situation here. Okay, so we're gonna stop here. This is a uh, one of the most heavy cantos because of all the historical info. It's like a his history lesson. The style of it is interesting because the emperor, he just talks from the first word until the last word. So it's all just one long speech from an emperor, which is fitting for for like the imperial bird and the imper imperial eagle and just like this monumentous <laughs> feeling that a person is, is talking. So uh, that's all for this one. And uh, so let's hope some of this was interesting. And uh, thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you.